0: Well, good morning, Stafford Baptist Church and friends. It is a, a pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. If I haven't had the, the chance to meet you yet, my name is Kelton. I also serve as one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Second Timothy. Second Timothy, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the pew, you can find Second Timothy on page 995. Second Timothy. This morning, we conclude our summer series, Letters to the Church, eight sermons in eight of Paul's letters, our, our post-COVID reminder of our identity and purpose as Christ's body, the church. And we have an uh, appropriate conclusion this morning, the, the last letter that Paul wrote, an intimate letter to his closest coworker, Timothy. But before we go any further, would you please pray with me for God's help in our hearing and for God's help in the proclaiming of his word. Let's, let's pray. Father, it is right for us to pause and ask for your help in the hearing and proclaiming of your word. Lord, we, we thank you that even as Paul wrote to Timothy to remind him that, that your word is, is breathed out by you. And is useful in, in so many ways that the man of God might be complete, lacking in nothing. Lord, we pray that, that your inspired, perfect, inerrant word this morning would be proclaimed for our equipping. That we would be matured, equipped for everything. Lord, especially, Father, that we would have courage as good soldiers of Christ until the end. It's in Christ's name that we pray this. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've all heard of bucket lists, you know, lists of what you hope to experience or accomplish before you, as they say, kick the bucket. If you knew for certain that your time on earth would be short, what would make your list? You might think of an exotic vacation or a hobby you've been meaning to try. Or maybe simply just more time with all the people who mean the most to you in the world. Thinking of the end like that can, can clarify our present moment. What is most important now? What should be, we should be doing with our time today? And I, I hope that you would agree as Christians, it's not vacations or hobbies first and foremost. No, Christians live for something far greater. In our sermon text this morning in 2 Timothy, Paul is certain that his time on earth is short. He is back in prison now awaiting his execution. Timothy, his his longtime co-worker, is still in the city of Ephesus where he was left by Paul to, to face false teaching to put that church into order. So in his last days, Paul writes to his close friend, Timothy, to remind him of the charge that he has from God, to endure in faithfulness and encourage because of the hope that we have in Christ. And, and Paul, d- despite being abandoned by many friends and facing death, well, he comes to the end with confidence that he will receive the reward he hopes for. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. And he calls Timothy and and all of us today to follow his example. What is the Christian's bucket list? Fight the good fight with courage until we receive the crown. That will be the main idea for our text this morning, a one-sentence summary of the the whole book. Fight the good fight with courage until we receive the crown the crown. These four chapters of Paul's last letter contain what what he wanted Timothy to heed for the rest of his life and ministry, carrying on his work in Paul's absence. As Paul will remind us in this letter, it is inspired by God so that we might be equipped by God for every good work, including the good work of living every day for what matters most. Most. Fight the good fight with courage until we receive the crown. In this letter, I see five arenas for our fight, five ways Paul exhorts Timothy to courage, which will be our five points this morning. So first, courage for suffering. That's in chapter 1-1 through 2 Second, courage for godliness. And the rest of chapter 2. Third, courage for facing opponents. In the first half of chapter 3, fourth, courage for preaching the word, that in chapter three fourteen through 4, 5, and finally, courage for awaiting rescue, that the end of chapter 4. So courage for suffering, courage for godliness, courage for facing opponents, courage for preaching the word, and courage for awaiting rescue. And as has been our habit with all these overview sermons, you'll be helped to keep your Bible open to 2 Timothy and be ready to read with me throughout the letter as we do this overview sermon. So we'll start today, actually, in chapter 4. So join with me, Second, Second Timothy chapter 4, where we're going to start by reading verses 6 through 8. Read with me God's word, Second Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The word of the Lord. Well, if we're going to understand this final letter of Paul, these verses are at the center of it. Clearly, Paul here understands that that his time on earth is is short. His death is imminent. The time of his departure, he says, has come. You'll remember in this sermon series when we studied Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, we we saw that Paul wrote those letters from, from prison in Rome. But you'll remember in Philippians, he was confident that he will be released. Well, Tradition tells us that, that indeed Paul was released from that Roman imprisonment. He had a few year, more years of, of missionary work. But he ended up in Roman prison again. And sometime in the mid-60s AD, after he wrote this, his final letter, Paul was beheaded by the brutal Roman Emperor Nero. Well, in in these verses that we just read, Paul doesn't view the end with with fear or with anger. No, he approaches it with confidence, with victory. Listen to how he speaks of it. He says he has fought the good fight. He means that he has has met opposition and he has overcome it. He has fought the good fight of, of faith to trust in Christ and to defeat sin. He says he has, has finished the race. He has not faltered or, or fallen. He's made it all the way from the start now to the finish. And he says he has, has kept the faith. He lived by and proclaimed the faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now, in verse 8, he awaits the reward. A crown of righteousness. This isn't the crown of, of royalty, but the crown of, of a victor in athletic contest. This summer, o- Olympic athletes in Tokyo are, are competing for gold. They've spent years and years preparing for this, this one chance at glory. Well, likewise, Paul was competing for a reward, spending years and years to have this placed on his head. A crown that is righteousness, he says. The reward he awaits given by the righteous judge Jesus Christ himself is righteousness. Perfect and complete righteousness in heaven, in eternal life, with perfect fellowship with God his Father. The, the finish line that he's describing here is the finish line for every Christian. That's, that's the prize that we all live for. It's what we were made for. It's what we lost in the fall into sin. And what we can only have claimed for by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So if, if that's the finish line, if we're going to inherit that reward, we need courage. We need courage for the fight like Paul to make it to the end. So if if that's the finish line, how, how do we get there? Well, that's why Paul wrote 2 Timothy. Five exhortations to courage. Starting in our first point, first, courage for suffering. Jump with me back to the start of the letter. The first arena for our fight is in suffering. The word suffering shows up six times in this book. Four of them in this first section. The word endure shows up another six times. Persecution, four. Clearly, Paul has something to tell Timothy and us about suffering in the Christian life. I think it might be most clearly said by metaphor in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Read that verse with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul commands Timothy this way. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So as we fight the good fight with courage, as soldiers, he says, of Christ Jesus, it means suffering. And and suffering here in verse 3 is actually a command. He he commands Timothy to share in suffering. This command is repeated back from uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Again, he says, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. But well, why is it that, that Paul himself, that he commands Timothy to suffer? Well, he says there in verse 8, it's for the gospel. Or if you glance down to verses 11 and 12 of chapter 1, Paul says that he was appointed to be a preacher of the gospel, which is why he suffers as he does, in prison awaiting death. It's, it's for that reason that, that Paul starts this letter. By reminding Timothy of the gospel. The gospel is the reason for it all. The foundation below everything else. In that first chapter after his his normal greeting. Expression of of thanks and prayer. Verse 8 and following are are a clear reminder of the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel. You know you you might think that Timothy. Timothy an experienced missionary, a, a pastor, a, a teacher, he might not need this reminder of the gospel. You can imagine him saying, yeah, 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 I got it, Paul, the, the gospel, okay. But, but there are more important matters at hand. You are on death's row. What am I to do? But no, first things first for Paul Brothers and sisters, the message of the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life for elementary Christians. No, it is the A to Z of the Christian life. The beginning and the end. It's the foundation. Everything else of the Christian life is built on. So this morning, I'm going to read for you verses 8 through 12. Paul's rehearsal of the gospel for his friend Timothy Perhaps the one millionth time Timothy has heard it. But I invite you to listen as if it's the first time you've heard it. The gospel is good news no less today than when you first heard it and believed. Read with me 1 Timothy 1 verses 8 through 12. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Friends, the gospel is the good news, as Paul says, that you are saved from God's just wrath against sin and are called to a holy calling. Not, he says, because of your good works, but because of God's grace. This grace, this gift is given in Jesus Christ, the only Savior from sin, made known in his appearance some 2,000 years ago. God became flesh not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. And all you need in order to receive the, the life and immortality that he speaks of. And the forgiveness of sins is to turn away from sins and, and trust in Christ's sufficient death for you. Christ died suffering God's just wrath against sin. He was buried, but he rose again and is ascended to come again. Friends, there is, is no greater news that you could ever hear, and it will never stop being The greatest news you have ever heard. Let me me talk to for a moment to our older members. Paul here is an example of how to age well. He's probably in his mid to late sixties when he writes this. Be like Paul. As the years go by, never graduate from the gospel. Remind those who are younger of the gospel year in and year out. Make it your lasting legacy like Paul. The gospel is so valuable that the call for for all, young and old, is to suffer for this gospel by the power of God. You see an example of of Paul's suffering in verse 15. He, He says that all deserted him in Asia. The region that the church in Ephesus is in. We see later in the letter, in, in chapter 4, verse 10, that he was deserted by Demas. In chapter 4, 16, he says, all deserted him. This is exactly like Jesus, who was deserted by his disciples at his arrest, his trial, and execution. What Paul is pointing us to is that the call to suffer is the call to be like Jesus. Let me borrow a line from Spurgeon we heard two weeks ago. Do you expect to be honored in the world where your Lord was crucified? In the first verses of chapter 2, Paul uses three metaphors to describe the Christian life as as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. They're, They're all pointing to the suffering that we're called to for the gospel. Soldiers, in verses 3 and 4, they, they suffer for a greater cause. They're single-minded, focused on one objective, to satisfy their commander. Athletes, in verse 5, they're disciplined to compete according to the rules. And, and farmers, in verse 6, well, they work hard, waking up early to get to the plow, so that they might have the reward of a harvest. Well, what does that mean for us as we suffer? Well, well, we endure suffering as soldiers for the, the greater cause of the gospel, to please our commander, Jesus. Church, we're to run our race as athletes with obedience to the rules of our master, Jesus. And brothers and sisters, as farmers, we're to labor in good works, knowing that in due time you will re- re- reap the reward. As if it needed to be clearer in verse 8, Paul again commands Timothy to remember Jesus, the source and pattern of our life in our suffering, our risen king. And again, Paul says there that he is suffering for the gospel in verse 9. Why all this suffering? Why the chains of prison? Well, verse 10 he endures everything for the sake of the elect that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Time and time again, Paul exhorts us to, to suffer by reminding us it is for something, that it has a purpose. It is for the gospel, for salvation. It is for our Lord Jesus. So, Safford Baptist, if you are going to suffer If you're going to fight the good, fight with with courage for suffering, you will suffer. But you need to be strengthened for that suffering. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 1. How is it that Paul had strength to suffer? He said this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 13, 9, 2 says that it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. To borrow a phrase from the pastor and author John Piper, Christians need to eat grace for breakfast. To, to fight the good fight with courage in suffering, your daily meal must be grace. God's riches for you at Christ's expense. It must be our daily habit to live life in light of the gospel. To remember that, that, that you, that I, that we deserved hell, but we get the unsearchable riches of Christ in forgiveness, in eternal life, in, in fellowship, both now and forever, as a gift you could never deserve, never earn. So, friends, this morning, as we gather To draw near to God in worship, have you eaten your fill of grace? Does grace sustain you day in and day out? Or are you being sustained by your own efforts, by your own performance? Brothers and sisters, in order to have strength to suffer... We need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Fight the good fight with courage for suffering until we receive the crown. And even though the, the crown that we look forward to is, is perfect righteousness, the good fight now means that we pursue righteousness in our lives. So let's look at our second point, courage for godliness. This is in the rest of chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. In these verses, Paul is calling Timothy and the, the congregation that he serves to live godly lives. Read with me at the, the heart of it in chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy two twenty two. Paul writes to Timothy, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This whole section is summarized by this call to to flee passions or or sinful desires and pursue all that is righteous. He says, faith, love, and peace. Earlier in this section, Paul exhorts Timothy to avoid quarrels about words and an irreverent babble, but instead to rightly handle the word of truth. We know from from last week that the congregation Timothy was involved in was was engaged in pointless controversies. It's a reminder. Church, are are we in danger of the same? Threatened by quarrels about words. Paul says it it leads to to more and more ungodliness. It spreads like gangrene. No, rather we are to pursue godliness. Godliness. Brother, sister, are you pursuing godliness or just waiting for it to happen? Paul starts this letter with the gospel. We aren't saved because of our works, he says. But but now in the letter, that gospel leads to godly conduct. We pursue righteousness, not to be saved, but because we are saved. In one way that... That godliness is to to show up in our lives is how we handle opponents in verses 24 through 26. Read those verses with me. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps, perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. I think Paul is particularly talking about pastors here, about how they handle troublesome people in the church. But but this kind of godliness is to mark all who serve the Lord. Opponents that he's talking about can be anybody who is hostile to you, even if at the moment it's a spouse or a, a member of the church. The fact is that it's, it, it's not just that we fight the good fight, but, but how we fight the good fight. If you treat your opponents like the world around us, you'll be, you'll be angry, you'll be rude, you'll, you'll avenge personal slights. But if you've learned from Christ, how did he treat his opponents? You'll treat his, your opponents like he did. Not quarrelsome, but kind. Not avenging, but enduring evil. Not with violence, but gently. And our confidence as we deal with our opponents is in verse 25, that that God has the power to grant repentance. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, other, other people, but as he speaks of the devil and his demons who trap them and blind their minds. So, church, one of the ways that we can be utterly unique in this world is to treat our opponents with with kindness and gentleness. It's one of the ways that we adorn the doctrine of our God. One of the ways that we are salt and light in the world. One of the ways we shine as stars in this dark age. But notice, notice too, Kindness and gentleness does not mean overlooking sin. Where repentance is required, he says the Lord's servant corrects. In fact, if we refuse to correct sin, we are refusing to love. God doesn't love us by by overlooking our sin and leaving us in it. No. No, he loves us by correcting and granting us repentance from it. So real love pursues repentance and in a way that it's marked by courageous godliness. Brothers and sisters, we fight the good fight with courage for godliness until we receive the crown. But but all this talk of how we deal with opponents reminds us that that not all of our opponents will receive our correction. To, To fight the good fight with courage We need courage for facing opponents. Let's look at our third point, courage for facing opponents, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Here in chapter 3, Paul reminds Timothy and and us that difficulties will will come in the form of people who oppose the truth. Read with me the the start of chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. In total, Paul lists 18 marks of our opponents, ranging from simply ungrateful to brutal. Look through this list through verse 5 with me. Notice how many deal not with what we do, but what we love. Lovers of self, lovers of money, heartless, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of of God sin at its core is is not a behavior problem it's a heart problem it's a it's a love problem salvation from sin then requires not just new behavior but a new heart new loves righteousness godliness is is deeper than simply what we do it is what we love He says it there in in verse 5, these opponents have the appearance of godliness. You can look good on the outside, but inside be full of dead bones and all kinds of uncleanness. If you're joining us today and you're not a Christian, thank you for joining us. If you're going to understand Christianity, you have to understand sin. Sin is not just breaking the rules. Some of Jesus' greatest opponents were were people who kept all the the so-called rules. No, sin is a matter of the heart, of what you love and what you hate. By nature, Paul says here that that we love self and pleasure rather than God. But if God is who he says he is, the, the best and the most beautiful being in all of creation, beyond creation, well, then he is worthy not just of your good behavior, but your most profound allegiance and love. He deserves your heart. I'd encourage you to talk to someone here today about how you can have a new heart by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, well, Christians, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul is reminding us that the times of difficulty will come, so we need courage to face our opponents. In verse 13, he says that, that these evil people, evil people who we, we all once were apart from God's grace, these evil people will go from, from bad to worse. And that certainly will mean that we will be persecuted read with me second timothy 3 verse 12 Paul says indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted all will be persecuted Here's a question for you this morning Does this verse mean that Christians suffer more than others Consider based on second timothy 3:12 How would you answer? Do Christians suffer more than others? Nod or or shake your head so that I know what you're thinking. Let's see some no's, see some yes's. Okay. In one sense, yes, Christians suffer more than others. In our fallen world, all people suffer. It says, Job says, man is born into trouble surely as sparks fly upwards. It's for everybody. But as as we saw earlier in our first point, the call to follow Christ is a call to greater suffering. How many times, church, have we observed this? Persecution is not strange. It is the birthright of a Christian. All will suffer persecution. But I want to answer that question. Do Christians suffer more than others in in a different way today? In the most important sense, no. No. Christians do not suffer more than others. Yes, our our birthright, 2 Timothy 3.12, is persecution, like our Lord and Master. But, But greater suffering in this life for a few decades is dust on the scale compared to the suffering that we've been delivered from. As the vapor of our life fades away, we will share in his resurrection and eternal life without suffering. Remember, brothers and sisters, all people are hurtling toward an eternal destiny that lasts 10,000 times 10,000 years and then is just beginning. Human existence is eternal. And after death, the unrighteous. Will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25:46. So in the most important sense, it is wrong to say that believing in Jesus brings more suffering. It doesn't. It brings infinitely less suffering because it rescues from eternal suffering. Let me say that again. Believing in Jesus brings infinitely less suffering because it rescues from eternal suffering. Stafford Baptist, what motivation to fight the good fight with courage for facing opponents. Persecution, even for decades, is less than a blink of the eye compared to eternity. How does Paul put it elsewhere? He says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Who would give up this fight with that at stake? We fight the good fight with courage for facing opponents until we receive this crown. In contrast to these opponents of the truth, we are to fight the good fight with courage by by making this truth known. So let's look at our fourth point, courage for preaching the word. This in chapter 3.14 all the way through 4.5. Paul makes the transition there in in 3.14, but as for you. After dealing with the, the reality of our opponents, Paul exhorts Timothy to be devoted to God's truth, to God's word. He says that, that from childhood he's, he's been acquainted, he's known the scriptures. And, and he's talking here of the, the Old Testament. How amazing is it that, that the Old Testament in verse 15 is, is to make wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Yes, he means that the message of the Old Testament is salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Is that how you read Leviticus, Proverbs, Daniel, and all the rest? Verses 16 and 17 are are well known for teaching that the Bible is inspired by God. And therefore it is without error. It is a sufficient, clear, and authoritative word from God. All that we need for life and godliness equipped for every good work. And so in what is in the apex of his letter, the strongest exhortation that Paul can muster, he commands Timothy to preach this inspired and equipping word. Read with me the first two verses of chapter four, Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The word of God was central to Paul's ministry. It has continued to be central to Timothy's ministry, and it must be central in all true ministry even 2,000 years later. Stafford Baptist, at the apex of the final letter of the chief apostle, we should pay particularly close attention. This isn't a secondary matter he's addressing. Imagine if the capstone of this letter, in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus please remember in my absence to take care of my dog. No. The highest priority that Paul can impress on his most intimate friend and partner in ministry in his final charge, preach the word. Always. Do it completely. Wield it to reprove, rebuke, and exhort And so may the same be of us, brothers and sisters, in our own life together to give the highest priority to the double-edged sword of the living word of God. If you are a member of Stafford Baptist Church, this is your responsibility. You have promised to uphold this preaching in our covenant together. And the danger is real. In verses 3 and 4, Paul notes that there will be people who won't endure sound teaching. And he's speaking of of in the church. Do you want to know the secret to growing any church? Well, it's simple. Tell people what they want to hear. Scratch whatever itches their ears. I mean, who wants to be reproved and rebuked? No, no, better to have teachers to suit their own desires. What Paul is talking about here in these verses obviously implies that the church has power to choose their own teachers. So I ask you, members of Stafford Baptist, are you mature enough to choose teachers who reprove you, who rebuke you, who are dedicated to teaching the truth of God's word, no matter how inconvenient Or uncomfortable it is. Are you eager to submit to the ministry of God's word proclaimed. Making it central. Are you ready to keep me accountable. So that if I ever turn away from speaking the truth. And wander off into myths. To instead insist on sound teaching? As one of your teachers, I echo the sentiment of of Charles Spurgeon, who said that no man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. So I especially ask you to pray for your elders in our week-to-week desire to preach God's word to you. I especially ask for your prayers from verse 5, to do the work of an evangelist, he says. Evangelism is work. Pray that I would be disciplined to see opportunities to share the gospel with my my neighbors, to people I I meet in the coffee shops or around town. Pray, pray for us as we lead with the word. Stafford Baptists fight the good, fight with courage to insist that the word of God is central in our life together. And as we dedicate ourselves to God's word, while, while suffering, pursuing godliness, and, and fighting, facing opponents, we await final rescue. Let's, let's look at our fifth and final point, courage for awaiting rescue. This is in chapter 4, verse 6 through, through the end. We read verses 6 through 8 to start of Paul's expectation to receive the, the crown of righteousness from the righteous judge. Even though Paul's head was going to be lopped off by a brutal emperor it would only lead to that head being decorated with the reward that Paul was seeking righteousness Jesus teaches us that the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the heaven kingdom of heaven of their father literally glowing with the brightness of the glory of God Paul had enduring courage even to the end because he knew that death was not final. He was confident that he would be rescued and brought into righteousness. If you look down at verse 16, Paul says that that all have deserted him at his defense in Rome in this second imprisonment. But what comfort in verse 17. Look at it with me. But the Lord stood by me and strengthen me. When all other worldly friends fail, Jesus does not. I am with you, he promised to the end of the age. Paul was strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and, and so he was rescued. And his confidence is in final rescue. Read with me, chapter four, eighteen. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Rescue for Paul here doesn't mean escaping the executioner's sword. Rescue is being kept through death, delivered safely into a heavenly kingdom, into the reward of life and righteousness forever. In Christian, the Jesus who stood by Paul is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Even through life's greatest trials and and through even death, you are kept by him, strengthened by grace. So whatever you may face, you can fight the good fight with courage in confidence of rescue because Jesus is with you. Jesus stands by you. Your Savior savior is closer than any friend. You will make it safely home to the heavenly kingdom, not because of your strength, not because of, of your goodness, but because of his promise and his grace. Brothers and sisters, thinking of the end, That we await final rescue clarifies our present moment. What is most important now? We've seen these eight weeks our identity and purpose as Christ's body, his church. That we're not to abandon Jesus Christ by trusting that works and, and not faith make us righteous before God. That in Christ, God graciously makes us new and calls us to earnestly walk in the newness of life. That we are to humbly partner together with joy in Christ for mutual progress in the gospel. That we're to be filled with the knowledge of Jesus Christ who is preeminent Lord of all. And since God's work in us is evident, we continue to please God by imitating Christ in purity love and hope of his return we do not grow weary of doing good as we await his victorious coming and we are to protect god's church from false teaching by gospel confession and gospel and godly conduct and continue the fight the good fight with courage until we receive the crown brothers and sisters that's a bucket list worthy of the gospel and so we celebrate the lord's supper this morning in anticipation of the supper to come when we all are safely in the heavenly kingdom forever and ever let's pray our lord and savior jesus christ we give you praise for rescuing us from the dominion of our sin and transferring us into your beloved kingdom, both here and now and in the age to come. Father, we pray that we would have courage to fight the good fight. or that we would look to Jesus who will rescue us from all evil and safely bring us into his kingdom. We pray that, Lord, as we await that day, we would remember Christ given for us, broken for us. Lord, may may we be a church dedicated to the proclaiming of this gospel until he comes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.